Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah, a registered associate nutritionist and your favourite crazy bean. Full of Beans is on a mission to reduce eating disorder stigma and increase eating disorder awareness. Together, we will establish inspiring conversations with a range of individuals, including those with personal experience and their loved ones, as well as clinicians, researchers and charities who are all working to increase the understanding of eating disorders. Using my personal battle with atypical anorexia and body dysmorphia, as well as my Masters in Eating Disorders and Clinical Nutrition, we will together explore the experiences of like-minded individuals who are equally as passionate about sharing their stories to increase the understanding of eating disorders. Please note that this podcast discusses sensitive topics and should not be seen as a replacement for evidence-based therapy or treatment. Today I'm joined by Tom Robert. Tom has his own experience of anorexia nervosa and has since then worked with an adult service within the NHS and has worked with the Prince's Trust. Tom joins us today to share his incredible experience. Hello Tom. Hello everyone. How are you today? Yeah I'm good. I'm good. After the stress of not being able to hear each other for about 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, technology for yeah. yeah. Your piece would be yeah, proud of technology not working again. <laughs> yes, I think we're going to have to look at a new way of recording because the way that I'm currently doing it, nobody can seem to get the hang of. So maybe I'm overcomplicating it. Anyway, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, really excited to talk to you about your experience and all the work that you've been doing. Um, so I wondered if you wanted to start by just sharing with us kind of, I guess, your personal experience of your eating disorder. Yeah, yeah, by all means. Always willing to share a story, I guess, or two. <laughs> I'll kind of go back from my childhood, really. I think that's mm-hmm. kind of a, a good start. In okay. Obviously, I, I didn't. I didn't suffer with an eating disorder then, but I, I w- I've always kind of felt, it's going to sound really cliche, but I always felt different. In some ways, I hate that word, but in some ways I love it because it, it kind of really sums up the way I felt. But at the same time, it was just like a mix of things. And it, it just kind of, I never was able to put a finger on it sort of thing. Um, But later on in the podcast, we might be able to find out what that, that thing was. <laughs> So we'll we'll hold on to that one as we go on. I had a hard time at school. I got I found school very difficult. I was diagnosed dyslexic, and school life when you're dyslexic or struggling with spelling and reading and things like that, it's it's damn tough. It's damn tough. You you're facing that problem like all the time, basically, aren't you? you as I kind of got a bit older, I struggled a lot with anxiety when I was really young more than what I do now but at the time I didn't it, there wasn't like a word for it it was really okay. weird when I think back to how much I did actually suffer with my mental health mm-hmm. but actually it was it wasn't it wasn't talked about it wasn't kind of um discussed kind of like this really I guess so I felt like I was the only one kind of going through the way I, f- I felt with things is now looking back on it I realized I was far from it and there'd be lots of people who kind of felt the same. As school went on and I got a bit older, I couldn't deal with the stresses of exams and SATs. And 
basically me family, me mum said shout up to those who were up north for mum. <laughs> I was going to say one of my friends has just moved to Newcastle and she's not originally from Newcastle and she started saying mum and I was like where's this come from? <laughs> it's a way to be mum. <laughs> so yeah my mum kind of had a, a, a kind of big fight and stuff to kind of get his to not do me sats at a young age. That kind of set us off from when I went into the next school and middle school. When I went to my middle school slash high school, the first day I had a look at my sats and they said that he hasn't done them. And we said, yeah, we well, know because he gets too stressed and it causes too many problems. So they kind of took that as, I don't know why, but they took that as he obviously can't do them and we can't write anything or he can't read anything. Mm-hmm. So they literally put his like into a class that, I was learning like first school things, right? Um, learning how to read from from the start, basically. And um, after a while, after being in that middle school for a year, it took a year to fight to kind of get us out because um, I remember the day it was it was funny in a way because I remember I got a, an assessment with uh, somebody who was high up in education a uh, teacher who's high up in education and she sat us down one day and she gave us a book it was a I remember it was a Biff and Chip book back <laughs> in them days of Biff and Chip <laughs> um, and she said oh, I want you to read it and I read the whole book out loud <laughs> and the look on her face she just about fell off the chair Um <laughs> like to see you can read and I was like yeah I know I can read and she was like oh I want you to write down this and I read down like a paragraph or something she says you can write yes there's a few words there that are not correct but you can pretty much write and I was like I know and they were like oh my god you're in the wrong class and I was like I know (laughs) (laughs) so it was all it was all a bit higgly piggly, and then we had to fight really hard t- to get into another class. But I met some really, really nice people there. They did struggle with, with it, and they had to really start from scratch. And and they also had, I think, some of them were like in care homes, and mm-hmm. they had a hard time, really hard time. So I really felt for them and gave them respect, and I think they knew that. And I think that's why they give me a lot of respect. So. Um, but then as I got to high school and I moved classes, it, the tables kind of cha- changed. Um, I was in a better class for me education-wise, but for sociability-wise and just being friends with people, it was the worst. The, the bullied is to, to hell. Um, they made me life absolute misery. Um, one point pushed us down the stairs. Um they done lots of things and basically I was just I was just bullied bullied to bits for a good few years. Um eventually led to a breakdown. Um I remember I, I woke up and obviously every day I was waking up just not wanting to go to school, not wanting to face it. Mm. And this one day I just I started not making myself sick, but I was being sick sort of thing. It was like an anxiety thing. It was like, 
because I was so anxious, so nervous. I was just being sick at this point. Again, my family said, my mom said, enough's enough, you're going to have to stay off school. And I ended up staying off school for about seven weeks, eight weeks. Mm-hmm. And in that time, the deputy headmaster came to my house, wow. which was, yeah, it was, it was quite scary. <laughs> yeah, but I thought you might think, what the hell is happening here? Yeah. Basically, he just came and says, you've got to go back to school. <laughs> no, he was really good, actually. Being fair, he wasn't what I thought. It wasn't until years later that my mum said that they told him, told her that actually Tom looks very unwell. It kind of really shows how much people might say, talking about mental health and sense of people might say, oh, you just got a bit of anxiety. No, anxiety can be an absolute life-crippling thing. It can be... It can lead to breakdowns. It can lead to, to to not being able to cope, to do basic tasks. Anxiety shouldn't be just seen as just a, a fret out of, oh, you've just got a bit of anxiety. It it, it is serious. Start, you can kind of manage it yourself, but you've got to you've got to kind of keep a hold of that. Everything you've got to kind of take away of it and take care of it and take care of yourself. But it it can be life debilitating, really. So anyway, getting back, I got into his second top and I said, I could do it. So anyways, he went away and then he rang me and he says, I've moved you in at the class you wanted. As that time went on, I realised actually I wasn't just in that class struggling at thought. I was actually in that class performing about average level of the class. I was happy. So it kind of really just showed that when you're happy and when you, you feel relaxed and confident, then then things come out and you can work so much better when when you're in good health, basically. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of the real start of mental health for me. And that was going right back from when I was probably about eight. And then going later on in life, I thought I would leave school, everything would be fine, hunky-dory, get a job, and that would be the end of it. <laughs> but not to be the case, not to be the case. Left school and again really struggled with kind of leaving school in a sense I started just going to the gym started just working out I thought you know I, I want to get get better get fitter um I thought lots of people were doing it I thought oh I'll join in um be something sociable something enjoyable and it was for for about a year I started seeing results started feeling better started but then I don't know what happened. It just something turned, something changed. Lots of things. There was a lot of family issues. There was somebody I was losing. So again, I was dealing with grief. Yeah, I didn't know where to go, what to do. I put a lot of pressure on myself to know. Basically, I got too much into the exercise. I started working out more. I started kind of feeling, oh, I have to do this. I have to go out. Um, rather than, oh, yeah, I fancy it all. As food was concerned, I basically just, I didn't really change a lot. I guess it was just, I just increased everything I was doing activity-wise, but I wasn't increasing the amount of food. I was probably slightly decreasing it by taking away certain things. Just that ongoing process for a while, things just started to sneak in. I became more aggressive, more angry, which isn't me. I hate being angry. I hate being aggressive. Yeah, and then it kind of just built from there, really. Um, the eating disorder really took a hold. I really felt like I couldn't have certain foods. 
the exercise was absolutely obsessive. I was training anywhere I could. I was on my feet all the time. At the time, I had a, a part-time job. So I think that kind of crept in of, oh, well, I haven't got time for lunch. I haven't got time to do this. Things just crept in, and, and that's the thing with an eating disorder. That's the scary thing, is things just creep up and slide in without even knowing it's kind of happening. Yeah. And physically wise, I became very unwell. Mentally wise, I was kind of hard to say, really non-existent, really. I was just a simple task is I remember it was a bit of a turning point for me when I was doing my job and and it was just to make sandwiches and I had to just cut them up and I couldn't think to how to cut a sandwich. I couldn't think. Somebody showed us and then and then I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't and I remember thinking myself, what the hell is going on? I just couldn't do it. It was the most bizarre thing ever. I literally couldn't hold the bread at the same time as cut. That was a bit of a turning point for me because I suddenly thought, what is going on? Obviously, I knew something was going on, but what was going on? But at the same time, I, I kind of didn't want to accept it. I think that's a big thing with an eating disorder. You, yeah. You're kind of in very much denial, aren't you? You're very much, this is not happening, it's something else. At one point, I thought it was a stroke. Had I had a stroke during the night wow. or something? Had I a lot kind of goes on and it, it was really hard physically I was I was changing colour my skin was turning like more of a yellowy colour oh. I was getting a lot of heart problems as well that was a big thing for me at one point we thought I had a heart attack because I was getting pains down my left arm and in my chest and you know it was quite severe I've got so many questions that I want to ask mm. you and I just want to say thank you for being so honest because I think a lot of the time we can I don't know, it feels almost like once we're recovered, it's you don't want to talk about the really difficult parts. So thank you for kind of sharing so much. And I thought it was really interesting what you said about the anxiety and not really having a word for it when you were younger. But then you also said about how anxiety now is sort of seen as, you know, just just something that's kind of a little bit of an inconvenience, but it can actually be crippling. And I don't know, I kind of wanted to ask you the question was, why do you think that is? Do you think now we just use the word so flippantly, like, oh, I feel a bit anxious today and it's sort of taken the extremity out of it? Or, you know, why do you think that it's not being taken as seriously as it should be? First thing is, is yeah, I love hogging the mic. So, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> I can't sorry tell for at all. I can't <laughs> tell. <laughs> um, so, at any point, just tell us to shut up. Um, I think we do use it flippantly which is not necessarily a bad thing in the sense of it it does help to create awareness majority of the time like 80% of the time things we do in terms of causing anxiety can't just be small can't just be like if you're nervous to if you're scared of heights and you're going up a high building you'll get anxiety because you're scared of heights and it's not a problem to kind of maybe oh I'll go that level higher or I'll try a, a couple more steps there's there's nothing wrong with that but I think sometimes like you say I think it will have got to be that 20% be careful of is this anxiety changing my life is this anxiety affecting my life so if somebody was to say to me oh I'm scared of going on heights I don't go anything tall buildings but 
their overall life is not being affected. They're they're living quite happily. They've got quite a nice life. They're quite they're just content with themselves and everything's fine. But if they said, "Oh no, I've limited to this. I'm stopped doing this. I've stopped doing that. I used to love bungee jump and I used to love this, and I'm not doing that." That's when I would say that is not good. That is the anxiety really crippling. And um, that's where we've got to kind of really be careful. And I think it's it's that sense of looking at just trying to open it up to that. If somebody's kind of kind of zooming their life in because of an anxiety, that's, that is really dangerous and, and life crippling, basically. I do often think that about a lot of things. I've had quite a lot of conversations with people about exercise on the podcast. And it's the same sort of thing that if you're engaged in exercise and you go every day but it's actually something you're really enjoying it's not something that you feel you have to do it's just you genuinely enjoy it and it makes you feel good fantastic but it's very similar to what you were saying about the anxiety and that if it's crippling and it gets to the point where you know you can't miss a day you have to do it all the time you know there's so many rules and restrictions around the exercise then that is when it's an issue so I think that's a really good point that you've made about the anxiety. And the other thing that I wanted to kind of, I guess, ask you a bit more about was you said, you know, when the eating sort of behavior started coming in, you didn't really notice them. It, it almost sounded like you were saying that they were like unconscious kind of rules that you were making. But then when it kind of came to, OK, I think there's now an issue, you didn't really want to admit that there was an issue. How do you like navigate that? Because it almost sounds like it kind of crept in. But then when you got to the point of things were quite serious, you still didn't really notice it. It is a really hard one. And I know exactly what you mean. Like you say, like the signs, the symptoms were there when I look back. And when I think back to things that happened, I remember I could tell, I could go on for ages telling you different stories of different things of times like I went to a football match was one of them and basically I can't remember much of this football match to save my life and and it was only about three days later I think I was in I was in hospital after that I remember that day more when we went to get a meal and I think I had a meal actually and I'd also ordered a bit of cake as well and I had the cake as well but the guilt and the, the anger you know to me I felt I felt so much anger that I felt like I've got to get rid of this anger so it was like oh well I'll go and do exercise so that was like a cheeky way of it kind of slipping back in you know it was kind of a cheeky way of it kind of like oh well if you do the exercise then you kind of you're kind of using whatever you've done and all them thoughts were kind of like subsiding It's very clever on how it kind of like slides in. And I remember just feeling all that anger and guilt. And I just thought there's something not right. But I didn't know what. I didn't know where. I didn't know where to start. And I think deep down, I think what it was was I didn't want it to change. But deep down, I did want it to change. Because I wanted to be able to just go out, have a meal, have a bit of cake. And walk away and not think twice of it, which is what should happen. I should be able to go to a football match, have a laugh, have a joke. If you can, if you're old enough, have a drink, have cake, <laughs> and, and just enjoy yourself, have a good time. But instead, I just remember feeling like I just wanted to be swallowed up. I just, 
wanted to disappear into a, a hole of of nothing. I didn't want any stresses. I didn't want any kind of worries to a sense. I, I just didn't want anything. I just wanted to be left alone in a dark hole is all I can describe. And it's just horrible and really sad. Yeah, I think that's why I kind of, in some ways, I, I didn't go to receive the help, but I did kind of accept the help once my family kind of got it because I was, in a way, so much pain. I suppose when you get get to a point with physical health, if you're in pain, you, you would kind of do anything to kind of stop the pain. And after a while, you really do just do anything you can to stop it. So I think to me, I got to a point where I was so sick of the pain in my head from the way I felt. I just thought, I do want to kind of stop this. And that's kind of when when my family kind of said, right, basically he has the help. We can kind of get you on the right track. And what sort of thing did you, I'm quite interested what you were saying about how you ate the cake and then, you, you know, you went and exercised. And I think that's it's quite common. And But it's, it's quite a strong negative reinforcement in that, okay, you can have the cake, but then you have to exercise afterwards. And I think then it becomes a repetitive pattern where you cannot then have anything without then needing to exercise. How did you break that? cycle of needing to exercise after you'd finished eating I'd done that well I'd done that when I was in like inpatient university but and I'd done that by literally just not doing it as simple as it sounds and as obvious as it sounds that that was kind of it really just kind of not doing it but that's the weird thing with me just like I was saying at the start when I kind of want something and I really go for something, I can kind of flip to a positive. So I can kind of like really flip in. And that's the way when I fit, when I got help and when I've been through different times of recovery and stuff through this, I've thought, right, I really want to kind of go through this and I really want to kind of conquer this and the way I felt. And I've been able to just suffer that kind of horrible time of obviously not doing any exercise eating everything they've told us to eat, getting up to a healthy weight, getting up to where I need to be really quick. In a lot of ways, I think some of the uh, medical staff have been quite... People who don't understand it will say they've been impressed, but then some people who do understand it will say they'll be alarmed a bit because sometimes mm-hmm. it can be too quick and it can be seen as a way of kind of getting out. And I think for me, sometimes... It is because it's sometimes a way of I feel that all I've got to do is concentrate when I'm in when I'm in a hospital setting. All you've got to do is just concentrate on getting well, looking yeah. after it yourself. And it's I can kind of do that, but obviously when you get out of a hospital, as life goes on, you have to juggle like ten plates at once, don't you? It's like you've got a job here, you've got this to do here, you've got that to do here, or at the same time, by the way. You've got your washing and ironing. Oh, and by the way, you've got like a house to clean. Oh, and to add on that, now just wash a car because you've learned how to drive your tech, learn how to drive. It's like whoopee. So, yeah, so trying to spin all them plates for me, I think I sometimes feel quite difficult. And then Mm. I take it out on my health and I take it out. The way I show that and the way I express it is 
via the eating disorders, via kind of saying, I can't, I can't do with this. And I end up going back to to mm. to the eating disorder, doing a, a lot of exercise, doing under eating, not being able to cope. And then obviously it kind of snowballs because I think I start with knowing I can control it, but then it just, I just lose it a bit and I just kind of get to it. And as time goes on and as times I've had where I've relapsed and then came out of it, I've been able to know the signs a lot better I know what it is so I do just stop it a lot quicker these mm. days and I know what yeah. what my mind's playing and and how I feel sort of thing yeah it's interesting you say about that when you were doing recovery because it sounds I think anorexia especially is very like black and white all or nothing thinking so I think it's not uncommon for people to just switch it like you said and okay well I'm doing recovery now so I'm going full pelt into recovery but then like you say when normal life comes knocking on the door you can't have your full 100% on recovery all the time because you do have like you said there's so many little things that you have to focus on but equally I think how you spoke about recovery is it's it's how I personally see recovery anyway is that you know you might have days where you think I can't cope with this today like there's too much going on I need my eating disorder as my comfort blanket but it's recognizing those signs or that you know if you have a voice in your head not everybody does but like for me personally it's often when I'm struggling that little negative self-talk comes in and I think it's just recognizing that and having the skills to then manage that and not let not let it escalate. That's what recovery is. I I personally think anyway, thinking that you're gonna never have a disordered thought again, probably unrealistic, but being able to cope with it and manage it, that's kind of the realistic idea. I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, I would fully agree. And and uh, just there, I was like a nodding dog. Um <laughs> I was like one of them fake dogs that you used to have in your car, didn't you? That used to nod all the time. Like that was me then. Yeah, yeah, Churchill. <laughs> um, I, I totally agree. And it is it is totally black and white. And like you say, life isn't totally black and white. Life is so grey. A lot of people who, who suffer with an eating disorder might suffer with that. And it's not a bad thing. And I think it can be seen as like a good thing. But like you say, it's just learning about trying to, how can we get on like not it's just learning yourself learning your own ways to cope with things I could say where it is but it might not help somebody else yeah it's a really up and down roller coaster and it's a really hard roller coaster to learn because it is kind of you you kind of got to do it to kind of see if it works and if it doesn't yes it hasn't worked so some people would say oh well that's a fail but to me it isn't a fail it's you just know that that doesn't work. Yeah. It's more That's of a mis- life though. Yeah. Yeah. Stick, try it. If it doesn't yeah. work, try something else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we'll do it again as well. And mm. we'll, we'll think, oh, well, wait for more daft to do it again. But sometimes <laughs> you have to do it again, actually. So actually, no, it really isn't going to work because yeah. you feel like the situation's changed or something. So you think, oh, it might work again. But no, there's no one route for recovery and there's no one one simple way of it and like you say it's it's all just kind of it's a bit of a mess to be honest yeah. it's a bit of a, it's just a mess 
I think that's that's such an important thing to say though because sometimes I do worry like when I get people on the podcast and I'm like oh can you explain your journey and everyone seems to have it kind of laid out and you know this happened this happened and I got an eating disorder and then I recovered and it sounds very sort of linear and smooth but I guess one I think sometimes we just explain it in that way because it's easy to listen to but two when you're when you're in the depth of an eating disorder, you've got no idea why it's happened, what's going on, nothing. It's through having years of therapy and unpicking things and working out, oh, maybe that was what triggered it or maybe that was. But even then, I still don't think that we could ever pin down one significant or tiny point in our life and be like, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, definitely. I think we see it very linear. Well, I see it very, very linear because uh, basically I write it on a notepad and then, and then just read it off the notepad. That's it, you know. Yeah. Um, no, I don't think I would have a notepad big enough, unfortunately. <laughs> it is it is just exactly that. It's um, There's no linear way, and it's all really kind of confusing. I think one way that's really helped me, and it was the one thing I was going to come to, and that is a couple of years ago I was diagnosed being autistic, and there's more and more research coming out that basically a lot of people possibly with an eating disorder do suffer with being autistic. And mm. um, that would kind of show for a lot of things on terms of black and white and being able to do one thing or like going like guns blazing at one thing and then being able to like once that's kind of done, going guns blazing somewhere else and not being able to kind of juggle loads of things at once and having that grey area. And... So if there is somebody out there listening and they are struggling in the feel like that and see have a look in maybe being diagnosed getting diagnosed being autistic or something might help you to just feel like you understand yourself better or um it might just help to learn about different things you could do you could even just not even that you could just research it and just look it yeah. up and see if that has any help or look into it because I seen there's a lot of there's big links to it which mm-hmm. I would kind of agree in some ways we but, did a yeah. I did a podcast oh gosh I did it was a few months ago now with um, a girl called Charlie who she's doing her PhD on the link between anorexia and autism and looking into how services can be more suitable for people with anorexia because uh, sorry with autism because the way that it needs to be treated is quite different and the kind of approach towards it needs to be different um and I think it's it's also quite interesting that sometimes when somebody is in the depth of an eating disorder they might not have autism but sometimes the eating disorder can sort of cause more autistic traits um but I think like you say there's quite a lot of correlation between it like the rigid thinking the black and white thinking like you said the perfectionism sort of having I guess maybe like a certain obsession with particular things and did you get diagnosed with autism after you'd experienced the eating disorder it was kind of in between so I've had it like when I first got diagnosed with an eating disorder I was kind of didn't know I was my family had an idea I was Mm -hmm. and because it was always mentioned when I was little I just never officially got diagnosed it wasn't until I was about 20 so I've kind of had times where I have been a bit unwell I've said, oh, look, I'm being diagnosed with um, autism. It's hard to tell if they've changed things. I don't know. Po- possibly in therapy, if I've had therapy, 
after I've been diagnosed might have changed the way that we're going to do things. Because I remember speaking to somebody once and they and they says, oh, right, she just went, all right, I'll have to scrap all that then. And then I didn't know what she kind of meant by that. So obviously she obviously had some idea of something. And then obviously after I've said that, it, it's obviously changed something. I don't know. And then the next time I saw her, it was all just felt like normal. Really, it didn't mean any different. But it's it's been actually, I thought I wouldn't want want it in the sense of it. It feels like I've always had like, I've always felt like I've had labels from mm. from the day I was kind of born. I felt like I've had that from me, you know, like having the dyslexia and the mental health and then the eating disorder and then now the the autism and it's like oh no not another one but it's really helped isn't to understand myself and mm-hmm. the good thing is I kind of sometimes it can be hard to explain to people why I might do the odd thing that might seem a bit different or a bit odd and people say oh why are you doing it like that? and the best the quickest way is just to say oh well look, look I am autistic and then sometimes people will just kind of, all oh, right, and they'll take it a bit better. They might not get exactly why I've done that, but it kind of gives them some answer to it. So for me, it it has helped a lot. Yeah, that's really good. And a question I have, I guess, on the subject of when we were talking about kind of the way that they maybe possibly, we don't know, changed your treatment when you got the autism diagnosis was what impact do you think you being a man had on your diagnosis do you think that you were treated differently or do you think that you should have been treated differently to how they might treat a woman that's got an eating disorder the biggest thing with being a man in an eating disorder wasn't so much treatment in the sense once I got it it was more getting it I remember I was in a hospital bed um I was very unwell and my consultant basically came up to us and said look I we can't get your bed, which if you're in that situation, it's no shock, however. <laughs> Unfortunately, there's such a shortage of beds, which is terrible, really. But then she said, actually, you're in a really hard situation. I went, what do you mean? She says, well, majority of the places that would normally take people, I can't actually put you in there. And I said, why? And she says, because you're male. And I thought, what? And she went, yeah, they'll only take on females. And I just, for that second, it was just like, eh? <laughs> like, yeah. w- where we're living? <laughs> like, like, knock us on the head of it? <laughs> like, what? I, I, I just couldn't kind of, yeah, I was just in disbelief. And she says, yeah, so you're really restricted to, like, only a few places in the country you can go to because they'll take on mixed gender, whereas a lot of places they'll just take female only. And I was just like, what? That That's, that's surely got to change, or that's not yeah. right. Or Yeah, so that was like the real big kind of shock. And then there's a lot of, when you do get a treatment and stuff, I think there's a lot of not, it's really hard when you go inpatient. If you go, when I went inpatient, it, it is hard because there's only like, there might be 20, 20 people and there's probably, there was only like myself that was male or somebody else. So there might only be two years that are male and, and, and another 18 patients are female. And it can be hard in the sense of like, 
you just yeah you just kind of you do feel like different but it never bothered me to an extent really as long as I got on with them and as long as they were just as we say up north canny canny as long as they're canny (laughs) what does that mean just like it just means like they're just lovely people they're just nice people canny oh okay i would not have said that so i'm glad i asked (laughs) (laughs) yeah by all means yeah we just we say it up north it said in the northeast it's dead canny he's dead canny him it's dead nice um nice friendly (laughs) approachable something like that so that's all really the bother me i wasn't bothered whether it was male or female to be honest but i was just shocked at the beds there's so yeah. many little beds for men. Really is. There was when I yeah when I was in an impatient they had it like really sectioned off. It was like it was a bit. It was like the dark ages. I felt because it was like a really sectioned off bit. Oh, this is just where the men's is, and this is just where the females. And it, it, that to me was more upsetting because it was like, well, eh, like why does it have to be so sectioned and so like? Mm regimented to male and female I couldn't get my head around um and yeah I, I just felt like it was really wrong um, was this a while ago or just interested this was oh I must have been 18 at the time okay. 18 19 so I'm now just at 26 so okay you're looking about six seven years ago yeah, so hopefully okay. that's not the case anymore. I don't yeah, know, but yeah, um, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully not. Hopefully things have changed, but I have me doubts. I think there'll be more beds. I do think there'll be more beds because there are more people talking about it, and mm. it does seem to be more of a acceptance of men with eating disorders now. But I still think there'll be quite a bit of. Um, yeah shortage if you look at like a graph if you probably had like the number of beds to to me I think it would be a huge difference um and a huge just bit imbalance and yeah how do you think we change that because I mean this is something that I'm always very interested in kind of talking about because I think you know if we think about the way that I guess the rhetoric of eating disorder is are seen I think most people not people that are obviously trying to raise awareness of eating disorders but a lot of people that maybe don't know a lot about them will think that they're a middle class bright um white British young female girl problem which is completely not the case but I guess I always think how do we change that rhetoric because unless we reach communities that are still talking about that it's going to stay like that and it's great to have these conversations and to raise awareness, but I don't know, that's something that I'm massively passionate about, but it's kind of how to break through that stigma. Yeah. Um, I think it's just it's just about not focusing. It's just years of mm. focusing on one area, isn't it? So it's gonna take unfortunately years to unpick it. Um, years to kind of do these types of things, do podcasts, do different things do interviews and get just a variety of people who survived with it and really show that like this illness doesn't discriminate anyone it will happen to anyone at any time of their life there's no age to it there's no gender to it there's no 
anything. It's just literally anyone can get it. Um, a lot of people, yeah, would be shocked. Like when I said, oh, I've got an eating disorder and they'd say, are you? They'd put your mail. I would say, yes, I'm a male. Last time I looked, I was definitely a male. Still am. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's like stigmas within that, I think, as well. I think there's a like, there's, for me, there's a big stigma of, oh, well, you're male. And it's it's not to get it anymore. But I think there's a big stigma of, oh, well, if you're male, then you must be seen as he's, he's gay. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, I'm not. And anyone can get this. And anyone can be affected and I think that's a big stigma oh well if you're male then you must be gay and you must just like the way you look and it's just not the case it's just I don't even know where it came from what caused it but honestly if I could kind of like burn it out of people's minds or burn it out of society I I really would it's just a horrible thing I think I think it's just a really horrible thing because it's just offending everyone it's offending yeah. people who are not. It's offending people who maybe are, and it it's just something that shouldn't be there. That it's there, but I think a way to unpick it is keep talking about it, keep raising it up. Over time, will come and change will happen. What are seeing the change? I think that's yeah. the positive that we have. Where to take out the things like even from when I was talking about when I was really young. I've seen a change in mental health, positive change, a good change. But that's not to say like we're, we're finished, like kind of stop raising the awareness. Not like not at all. Like we've got a long way to go and yeah. a lot to do still, but it's getting there. I mean, I'm aware we've been talking for quite a while, but I want to ask you about the work that you've been doing. Um, so I just wondered if you could kind of yeah, give us a kind of overview maybe of what you've within the NHS and I know also you were working with the Princess Trust as well which sounds like incredible work so I wonder if you could you know what are you doing to raise that awareness yeah so the Prince just being great um again I could talk for hours talking about the things <laughs> things that have happened people that I've seen the best part for me was public speaking I love mm-hmm. public speaking, something I never thought I would yeah. ever be interested in. Um, it's actually inspired us to, I've just signed up to doing a, a drama course. Wow. So in September, yeah. So September this year, I'm hoping to get back into, I've never, re- I've done it at school, but mm-hmm. that that was it. But I've always fancied doing it. And um, so signed up to doing a bit of drama and, and see what happens. Who knows? That's fantastic. Hollywood. Hollywood. Here we come. <laughs> well, I'll get um, your autograph for when you're rich and famous. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the Princess Trust are really good. They helped us in a really funny time of I just kind of left inpatient, but I couldn't work at the same time. You can't just jump from inpatient to just work. That's just not possible. It's not doable. But at the same time, sitting in a house, dwelling on your thoughts, it's not going to do anyone any good. Never mind somebody who's struggling with their mental health. So the really kind of came at that point where I needed to be at the house. I needed to do something like with a bit of a routine, but obviously something that's not stressful and obviously something that's not causing any kind of commitment to such to it. It's just you go there, you enjoy it, you come back. And, and I learned a lot from it, actually. Um, So we used to do like climbing, canoeing, 
loads of different activities and they were really fun, great activities, work a team a lot of the times. And it was great just to be, for me, just to be out of the house, have that bit more routine. It just really helped us to to kind of get over that, that lull. Mm. And then I got the opportunity to go on and be a young ambassador, which was a fantastic thing. It was, again, that kind of got us into something I never would have thought I would ever do. And that's public speaking. And <laughs> I absolutely loved it. Um, yeah, I got to do some incredible events. I got to raise a lot of money for them, which I'm, I'm proud of. Got to experience different side of life and I've really enjoyed it. Got to do traveling with it. Got to go to London wow. all the time. And I was really happy time in my life, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, so I was really, really honored to do all of that. And then now, basically, I'm just trying to think back to what I'm doing now, really, is um, obviously with COVID and all that, it's kind of traveling's <laughs> all stopped. And But anyway, I've got into doing um, Mental Health Foundation Trust in my area, which is mm-hmm. CNTW, which is classed as Cumbria, Northumberland, Tyne and Weir. And it's basically the, the service I used. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, I, I'm very proud to be a governor, to be a voice for other people, to help improve the service, to help fight for what I think is best for the, the service user or patient and just get the best care and best yeah everyone should have the best care best quality of service out there really um no one should have to suffer alone no one should have to kind of deal with the hard crap that mental health can be basically yeah I think that's so important I think you're doing a fantastic thing there to kind of improve the services and I think like you've said with everything like we are making way but there's still a long way to go so having people like yourself you know so passionate about giving back to others especially I'm sure it means a lot to you doing it for the service that you were under as well and the last question that I wanted to ask you today was I guess let's point it more specifically to male eating disorders um but if someone is listening whether they're somebody that you know is supporting someone with an eating disorder or if they um you know feel like they have an eating disorder themselves what would be your top tip or your best advice for somebody to get help so I'm going to go on two because I think if you're if you're a parent looking after a child then I would say for you so no matter what your child says or whoever you're looking after or whatever it is, get them help. They'll not want it, but in the long run, they'll give you the biggest hug ever imagined. After years, they'll give you the biggest hug ever imagined because they'll realise what you've done and they'll realise that, yes, they might have given you a lot of grief and they probably will give you a lot of upset and grief and heartache, but you're doing the right thing if you're somebody struggling and you don't know what to do again I suppose it's similar again I I guess it's about delving deep into yourself and really sitting and thinking you must have got to points within you within that you know that that's not you you know that that's odd I should be able to do that that shouldn't happen I shouldn't feel like I can't eat this or I shouldn't feel like I have to go and walk or whatever it is. Um, 
it should be I'm doing that as an enjoyment or I'm doing that as just I want to, not as I have to. And I think taking them little points, taking them, because it won't happen every day and they won't happen all the time. When you do get them, really take them and think, right, that's why I need to get help. That's why I need to, to fight hard, unfortunately, to get help. You shouldn't have to fight hard to get it, but unfortunately you will. You've just got to keep thinking about them little points that you think to yourself, I don't want that to happen again or I don't want something like that to come around again and just kind of hold on to that and focus on that and you'll be all right in the end. You'll be all right. You'll get through it and you'll be a better person for it, really, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Tom. It's been so lovely to speak to you. And I just want to say thank you again for being so honest and open about your experience. Um, And I think, honestly, you're such an inspiration to have been through what you have and now giving back, which is just fantastic to hear. Yeah, I just want to say thank you very much for all of that. And yeah, I'm sorry that I've been waffled on so much, really. No, no, it's been absolutely lovely to listen to you <laughs> so, waffle on. <laughs> Better so, than you just giving me a one-word answer yeah. and being like, okay, next question. <laughs> you've probably missed, if anyone's listening while on a train or anything, they've probably missed that stop. And they're probably <laughs> yeah. like late to the next meeting or something. But, absolutely. Yeah. But thank you very much. I think that episode with Tom was really eye-opening and really interesting to hear about the link between his anxiety, autism and anorexia. I think also it's so important that we are raising awareness of male eating disorders because they can often be forgotten about or not even known about. Next week, I'll be joined by Suzanne Samarka. Suzanne has a project called Honesty About Editing, and it's all about the impact that editing images on social media can have, especially on young children. And there was a girl of about 13, 14 sitting next to me, using her phone as a mirror, which we've all done, with a filter on. And it broke my heart. And I remember just thinking, if you can't, bear to look at your own image without a filter that nobody else is going to see you're putting your lipstick on or whatever it be what does that mean for for you what are the voices in your head telling you and at such a young age and an impressionable age yeah if you enjoyed listening today you won't want to miss next week's episode so be sure to subscribe to be one of the first to hear it Please also like, comment and share this podcast with anyone you feel that may need support at the moment. Not only those struggling with eating disorders, but also their loved ones, as this can be a very difficult time for everyone. Eating disorders are crippling illnesses and this podcast aims to motivate and inspire individuals along their path of recovery. If you are struggling with an eating disorder, charities like Beat, Seed and First Steps have great resources. Please also reach out to your local GP to see how you can gain support for your eating disorder. Order. See you next time. Bye.